each time you're here, we, uh, as it turns out, have said hello to the love of your life. And it's never the same guy. This time, it's for real. This time. I've never been happier. This time. But you say that each time. Oh, this is a good guy. Hello and welcome back for another episode of Lay Do You Remember This, where we look back on all the Hollywood stories of the early aughts, a time in history when America found out that with a trust fund, a sex tape, and a dream, you too could become a star. As always, I'm your host, Dara Lane. This is the third installment of our Paris Hilton miniseries and part two of last week's episode about Paris's many love affairs. In part one, we covered her previous boyfriends, Randy Spelling, Rick Solomon, Jason Shaw, and Nick Carter. The relationship with Randy was brief, and her year and a half with Jason seemed to be relatively normal. But in terms of her relationships with Nick and Rick, or Tweedledick and Tweedledicker, Paris begins a bad pattern of dating bad men. I do wonder if Paris really has any idea how bad these men actually are, or how men are supposed to behave. I think Paris grew up in the sort of high society where she saw women who married men for their money, and in return for being taken care of, the men got to treat their wives however they wanted. She grew up alongside entitled little boys like Brandon Davis, who without consequence got to swing their dicks around, figuratively and probably literally, because Greasy Bear totally seems like the kind of kid who peed all over the bathroom expecting the maid to clean it up. He also seems like the kind of adult who would do that. In a new interview in Marie Claire, Paris says something rather telling about her perspective of what is normal behavior for men. The journalist asks Paris what her thoughts were about Donald Trump's Access Hollywood grabbing by the pussy line, and Paris dismisses it saying, I've heard guys say the craziest things because I'm always around guys, and I listen to them speak. Guys say the darndest things. That doesn't make them bad, guys, until one of them sells a sex tape of you or a Backstreet Boy starts pushing you around a little. But not all of Paris's boyfriends were complete wrecks. Some were just partial wrecks, like fender benders. Like what happens when you have a glass of wine on an empty stomach and you think you're okay to drive to get a protein-style In-N-Out burger and end up backing into a parked car or something. A little fender bender is maybe the best case scenario that Paris could hope for after establishing this pattern of men that she brings into her life. Do you think Paris is in therapy? I hope she's in therapy. Because as you'll see with the next boyfriend we're going to talk about, the one time she found a guy that seemed to treat her well and wanted to commit to her, she dumped him. She's just like Carrie Bradshaw with all the bad decision-making skills and internalized misogyny, but none of the charm or fashion sense. And I couldn't help but wonder, will a man ever get his own keycard to enter the heart of Paris Hilton, or will the vacancy sign be lit forever? We'll pick up where we left off on the Paris Hilton boyfriend timeline at the very end of 2004. Paris is off on a ski trip to Stad for the holidays, and she re-meets the man of her dreams. He's rich, he's hot, and his name is Paris. What more could a woman like Paris Hilton want than to finally have it not be weird to call out her own name during sex? 
I, for one, would never want to date someone with my own first name because of the confusion and because of the very good chance that people would start calling you Paris Squared. And I can't think of anything worse. But Paris Hilton and Paris Latsis seem to be just a-okay with it. Paris and Paris, heretofore to be known as PP, PP met each other 10 years earlier when they were teenagers at a club in Monaco. Not at like an after-school club, like at a nightclub with bottle service and men with vials of GHB hidden in their shirt sleeves. Because of course a 14-year-old Paris Hilton was clubbing in Monaco because what even are rules and boundaries for children? PP must have never forgotten each other because when they re-met 10 years later, they hit it off instantly and began to date. Paris Latsis was quite a catch for Paris Hilton. This kid, unlike her, was actually wealthy. Like, real money. Paris Hilton was called an heiress, and technically she was, but her family money started with her great-grandfather, Conrad Hilton. Conrad passed the Hilton business on to his son, Baron. Baron eventually had his son, Rick, Paris's father. But that Hilton hotel inheritance money that started with Conrad had to be split between many children and then their children and then find its way to Paris. Paris's generation of siblings and cousins were never promised much family money because there was hardly any left over. And despite naming his sons Baron and Conrad to suck up to his dad, Rick Hilton never got the keys to the Hilton castle. Baron didn't trust his son to take over the family business so Rick and his children never saw much of the Hilton Hotel fortune. Ironically enough, Conrad and Baron didn't believe in spoiling their kids and giving them money for nothing. So in the end, all the millions Paris has now is money that she made on her own. A classic bootstrap story. But Paris Latsis had the kind of money that Rick and Kathy Hilton were presumably salivating over. Latsis was the first Greek shipping heir that Hilton would date, and definitely the nicer one. He was the grandson of a billionaire, and in the March 2005 issue of Forbes, the Latsises were named the number 54 richest family in the world. Latsis himself didn't seem to do much except put in capital for Hollywood movies. Another huge plus. Our budding Meryl Streep could get movies funded by her boyfriend, and he was happy to do it. See? He's such a great guy. Does he hand make furniture too? Good God, Paris, how did you screw this one up? Everyone had good things to say about Latsis. He was quiet and reserved. He didn't like to go out that much. Jonathan Cheban of Kardashian Hanger Honor fame said of him, Not a nightclubber. He's a real guy. And she needs someone like that. He's not out for money. He's not out for fame. He's not out for anything. And of course you can trust Jonathan's assessment, because nobody knows about what being out for money and fame looks like more than him. And PP were smitten with each other. Hilton said of Latsis, quote, I'm so in love and grateful to have found such an honest and loyal person. She told Us Weekly, I feel like we were meant to be. And I'm happy to have found someone to spend the rest of my life with. Latsis said Paris was the most beautiful woman I've ever met. I feel like the luckiest man in the world. That is actually real audio of Latsis. 
In February, PP went on a vacation to Aruba after Paris's T-Mobile sidekick was hacked and her entire contact list of over 500 people was posted online. Also posted online were grainy sidekick selfies and pictures of Paris naked, making out with a woman identified as an MTV Latin America VJ. More like MTV VJJ, am I right? Also, I just want to say that it is not lost on me that Paris has been linked sexually to many women. It's something that no one ever even bothers to ask her about. She's so obsessed with the het norm way of life, I could never imagine her coming out, but I find it interesting that this is something that was only ever whispered about in gossip rags, and now it's been forgotten entirely. But not by me. I remember. Anyway, in June 2005, Paris went away for three weeks to do the European publicity tour for House of Wax, and when she returned home, Latsis proposed to Paris. Things seemed to be going fine, but in October, Paris was seen without her engagement ring. But it wasn't a four-alarm fire just yet, because Paris was also spotted at Kitson buying a piece of pop art depicting her and Paris with angels flying around them, with the caption, True Love. I've already spent many hours looking for this priceless piece of art. Like Rembrandt's Christ in the Storm on the Lake Galilee, I fear we may never find it. Despite the purchase, Paris announced the end of their relationship three days later. Latsis was completely heartbroken. He made a statement saying, Right now is a very tough time for me. I love Paris very much. This was the best experience of my life. You know who wasn't having a tough time with the news? Latsis's parents. They were throwing plates and mpapaing and singing Mamma Mia all across the Mediterranean seaside. His parents hated Paris. His parents even said to People magazine, We don't want Paris to be thinking about marriage and family. And his reaction to the breakup was, We welcome the news. They are like night and day, complete opposites. Everything is fine now. But while the Latsis family was relieved to be in the clear, another part of Greece was being invaded by Paris. Mere hours after the PP breakup was announced, Paris was seen out at Spider Club, where she met up with a group of people that included Stavros Niarchos. If you listened to my first episode, then you know all about Stavros. Another day, another shipping air. We talked a lot about the drama that occurred months into Paris and Stavros' dating, but not much about the beginning of their relationship. As we can see, Paris wasted no time moving on to Stavros. After that night at Spider Club, the next day the two went to dinner with Paris's sister Nikki and then partied later at Element. The two had probably started dating before her split was even public, and I have a sneaking suspicion that Paris was cheating on Paris and broke up with him to be with Stavros. One source even says that Paris broke up with him over the phone while Stavros listened in. This kind of checks out to me because Paris has a long and storied history of crank calling people. Not in like a cute, your fridge is running, you better go catch it sort of way. More in a, your girlfriend's test results are in and it appears she has incurable syphilis sort of way. So yes, I can totally see Paris and Stavros stifling giggles while Paris Latsis cries as his fiancée breaks up with him over the phone. Like Latsis's parents said, those two were complete opposites. 
But Paris and Stavros had a lot more in common. They both had a real mean streak. For one, Paris and Stavros were introduced by none other than Mary-Kate Olsen while she was dating him. Mary-Kate was really in love with Stavros. At the time, Mary-Kate was going to school at NYU. It wasn't halfway through the semester when Stavros dumps her, and she's so distraught that she quits school a week later. Mary-Kate told W Magazine, Paris and I always had nice things to say about each other. Now I guess you can tell we're not talking. It's a hurtful and painful subject. I miss him, and I love him, and I don't speak with him anymore. I don't like to see my Mary-Kate sad. Cheating is bad, but Stavros goes even lower. According to page 6, Stavros was out partying with some guy friends around this time when they happened upon a homeless man on the street. Stavros offered the homeless man $100 to take a cup of soda and dump it over his own head. He did, and Stavros and his friends guffawed and guffawed. Douches do the darndest things now, don't they? Paris wasn't there, but I'm sure she'd be laughing right along next to him. I'm sure she was sad to miss out on such a fun bonding experience with her boyfriend. Not to worry, there would be plenty more to do in the year to come. Like in December 2005, when Paris and Stavros ran into the poor sensitive soul that is Paris Latsis. They were partying at the club Privilege in Hollywood. Paris and Stavros made a big show of making out and dancing on tables together. Latsis was of course hurt and had to leave. Is there no common decency between shipping heirs or people named Paris? Jeez. I would say from what I can tell, Stavros is one of the worst of Paris's ex-boyfriends. He's cruel, he treats women as if they're completely disposable, he was unpredictable, and honestly seemed a little nuts. There's a video from TMZ you can watch on the Lay Do You Remember This Instagram. It's of Paris and Stavros driving away from a club with a few friends. Stavros is in the driver's seat and paparazzi are crowding their car taking pictures. Stavros puts a coat over his head covering his eyes, slams on the gas, and crashes the car directly into the back of a truck. He backs up and tries to speed away, almost hitting cameramen, while Paris screams that he's scaring her, to which he replies, I'm scaring myself. Steve-O from Jackass later said on Jimmy Kimmel that they had all been doing whippets right before the accident happened. By 2006, people were starting to tire of Paris Hilton, the character, and all of her antics. People were banning her and Stavros from parties because of their public fights. They were shut out of Elton John's famous Oscar party, but still managed an invite to the Us Weekly Oscar party, which I think is the only Oscar party Paris Hilton has any business being at. But according to page six, Paris and Stavros got into a huge blowout fight, which Us Weekly refused to cover. The source said that Paris stories just don't sell magazines anymore. Luckily, some big drama was on the horizon for Paris. In late April 2006, Stavros cheats on Paris with Lindsay Lohan. By May, Paris breaks up with him. After being publicly humiliated by Gingy Lohan, Paris got a win for herself, when in June 2006, her song Stars Are Blind comes out and does pretty well. She must have been preoccupied though, because during the summer when she should be enjoying this success, she's constantly on and off with Stavros. This ends up hurting her career. 
In the Marie Claire article I mentioned at the top of the episode, Paris talks about an opportunity she had to tour with her new album that she never took. I hired a whole dancing team and we practiced for six months to go on tour. But I was too scared to leave because I thought my boyfriend would cheat on me. I canceled the entire tour, which was so dumb for this guy. She goes on to say that the music label told her it would have been a multi-million dollar deal. She doesn't mention Stavros by name, but the timeline checks out. And she was right. He would have cheated on her if she went, but he was cheating on her anyway. They also ended up breaking up for good by summer's end. No reason to cancel a tour for him. This breakup must have done a number on Paris because she doesn't have any significant relationships until 2008. And for someone like Paris, that's a long time to be relatively single. She of course has many flings along the way, including Brandon Davis, Travis Barker, and Andy Roddick in 2006. In 2007, she hooks up with Josh Hutcherson and allegedly, and this is a big allegedly, she also hooks up with DJ AM, Nicole Richie's ex-fiance, Rest in Power. This comes from an article in Star Magazine, a shaky source as it is, and I couldn't really find any other sources or articles to back it up. If she did hook up with DJ AM, it definitely would have just been something to hurt Nicole. And by 2007, they had ended their feud with each other. And plus, DJ AM couldn't be farther from the kind of men Paris was attracted to. Slightly more believable hookups to round out Paris's single spell are Brody Jenner in 2007 and Jared Leto in 2008. Finally, Paris finds love again in good Charlotte singer Benji Madden. Of course, the man who shared a womb with Nicole's baby daddy, Joel Madden. I'm sure Nicole just loved this. Even Paris's mom, Kathy, was skeptical of this relationship on Nicole's behalf. According to the National Enquirer, Kathy had a sit down with Paris and flat out asked her if she was just dating Benji to piss off Nicole. But according to Paris, she was in love yet again. Just listen to how she gushes to David Letterman. So happy, I'm so in love, and I know well, I want to spend Who are you in love with? What's the deal on the guy? Benji, my boyfriend, he's actually backstage. I don't want him out here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy. I know. Here he is. Let's show people Benji. Here he is, uh, Benji Madden, in the band Good Charlotte. There he is. How did you meet him? Through uh, Nicole? No, we've actually been friends for over six years now. And then when she had Harlow, I started going over to the house, and um, mm -hmm. we just got a little crush on each other and yeah. totally fell in love. I like that coat he's wearing. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> he's hot. I'm sorry, he's hot? Very. Yeah. Benji was smitten with Paris as well, telling magazines he wanted to shout his love for her from the rooftops. He wrote a song for her called Shine Your Light, and he was determined to make it work. I read this John Cash book, and it said they were never apart for more than four or five days, says Madden. So when Paris and I started getting serious, I was like, we shouldn't be apart that much. We try not to go longer than a week without at least seeing each other for a day or two. That's kind of our rule. Yes, Benji and Paris, the Johnny and June of our generation. After eight months, the two started to drift apart, being seen together less and less. One day in London, Paris is seen sadly drinking alone at Madonna and Guy Ritchie's pub. Paris returns to LA, and she and Benji are seen all over town arguing. By the end of the year, Paris is caught spending time with Stavros, and in November, Paris dumps Benji. 
Like Paris Latsis, Benji also seemed like a pretty decent guy. Only a month before she broke up with him, Benji said to People Magazine, I wear my feelings on my sleeve. I'm very open about how in love I am. Paris and I are very happy. Another nice guy wants to commit to Paris, and she drives them away. Right after the breakup, Benji was seen out clubbing with Nicole Richie, and I'm sure they had a lot to talk about. From there, Paris spends the holidays alone until February 2009, when she starts dating Doug Reinhardt, that guy from the hills, and Lauren Conrad's sloppy seconds. They date for a pathetic four months, but during that time, they profess their love for one another and start looking at houses together. Paris tells a source that she and Doug, quote, film every part of our lives so we can show our children what crazy lives mommy and daddy led. I'd love to get married and settle down. Paris sure likes to film things. What a different life she could have led had she channeled her love for the camera into a career in filmmaking. Paris and Doug's relationship ends after they get into a huge public and physical altercation. A few publications reported that one night, Doug was out with Brody Jenner, having a dude's night out when Paris decided to crash it. Paris saw Doug talking to another blonde woman and went ballistic, throwing cocktail lime garnishes at the woman and pushing her against the wall. Then she turned her rage towards Doug, hitting and scratching him. This sounds pretty plausible to me, considering Paris's people never denied it. Paris apparently was still the one to break up with him, saying that he was just looking for fame and publicity. In July, Paris rebounds with soccer player Cristiano Ronaldo, but then Doug apparently buys her an island in an effort to win her back. Of course it works, and they begin dating again, much to her family's chagrin, who always hated Doug. Her sister Nikki even flat out tells reporters at New York Fashion Week that she isn't happy they got back together. It seems like what her family knew and we had not yet come to find out was that Doug had a temper. One night after Heidi Klum and Seal's annual Halloween party, not to be confused with their annual vow renewal ceremony, Paris and Doug were taking a limo home from the Hollywood Roosevelt at 3.30 a.m. Onlookers and paparazzi saw Doug throw Paris's cell phone out the window. She went out to go get it, and when she returned, she hit Doug, who in turn grabbed her by the neck. Allegedly. Regardless, Paris and Doug make it all the way to April, and Paris dumps him again, citing that he just wants money and fame. Sources close to Doug refute this, saying that Doug spent over $2 million on Paris over the course of their relationship. Then Paris briefly starts dating Jason Shaw again in 2010. Whew. Are you guys tired? I am so tired. Isn't Paris tired? It's never ending. Paris, where do you find the time for this? Will we ever get through to the end of her love life? Will we ever get to the end of this episode? I'm sorry I ever started us out on this journey, but now we have to make it to the end. So let's all get another cup of coffee, stretch, take a breath, and buckle in for the last few idiots. Psyweights. Psyweights. The next idiot on the list. Do you remember Psyweights? You might not, because it's now 2010 in the timeline. Paris is over. Long over. She's filming her show, The World According to Paris, and the country says a collective, no ma'am, and not today, and turns on the Kardashians. When it comes to Paris's reality shows, she really never reveals anything intimate or human about herself. 
This new show is no different. She instead makes her addict friend and Charlie Sheen's ex and baby mama, Brooke Mueller, be the vulnerable one on the show and exploits her barely a month after she gets out of rehab. Paris pretends to give the audience a candid look into her relationship with Cy over the course of the season. We're introduced to Cy, who is a Vegas nightclub mogul. Most notably, he and his brother opened Trist at the Wynn Hotel and XS at the Encore. A nightlife douchebag, just exactly what Paris needs. Strangely, Paris's family loves Cy. Well, it's not that strange, because he's rich and that's all they care about. It didn't faze them that Cy was driving Paris around Vegas under the influence, where they got pulled over and arrested. Paris getting caught with cocaine in her purse. Cy subsequently gets fired from his jobs, managing Trist and Excess. By the way, can you even imagine how different the early 2000s would have been for all of us if Uber and Lyft had existed back then? Imagine all the mugshots we never would have seen, the perp walks we never would have witnessed. Would we all be the same person if we had never seen Paris crying in the back of a car as she got hauled off to jail? Today's 22-year-old starlets don't even know how good they have it. They don't remember what life was like without iPhones and rideshare apps. Back in my day, starlets had to drink six vodka Red Bulls, walk uphill barefoot to the valet stand, and drive all the way home. Not to mention it was always snowing. Rails and rails of snow. Anyway, the only real moment Paris ever lets us see between her and Cy is while they're on vacation together. Paris wants to go to some party that Cy doesn't want to go to. Paris says that she's going anyway and stays there for hours and hours, leaving Cy elsewhere to twiddle his thumbs. Around 3 a.m., she finally shows up to meet him, and he's mad. She's drunk and tries to kiss him like nothing is wrong. They have an exchanging of words, and Paris starts hitting him. Cy has his security detail remove her from his bottle service table. It's the only time on the show where it doesn't seem like Paris is acting. Of course, the next day, Paris turns on the baby voice and all is forgiven. They continue dating until September 2011. Cy says the relationship had needed to end for a long time, adding, In my next relationship, I expect honesty, strong values, true communication, commitment, mutual trust, and respect, something I didn't necessarily have recently. At the end of the day, I want my partner and I to have the same ethics. In November 2011, Paris starts dating Afrojack. He apparently moves into her house in Beverly Hills, but by May 2012, they break up because Paris wants to settle down and he doesn't. And if you really want to settle down with someone, what better idea is there than at 32 to start dating a 21-year-old model from Ibiza? Paris and River Vipari start dating in September 2012. Another little hothead, in October, River gets arrested for battery. Apparently, he was at Excess nightclub with Paris. Because why not go to Excess? Your recent ex-boyfriend was fired from there, so you won't risk seeing him. Paris starts making out with another girl, which made River freak out, and he ended up punching another male clubgoer. Who knows why? Also, who cares? Despite the 11-year age difference, Paris gives her usual spiel to everyone who will listen that River is the love of her life. Surprisingly, this is one of Paris's longest relationships, lasting from September 2012 until sometime around May 2014. Close-ish to two years. You might be wondering what a 32-year-old woman and a 21-year-old boy could possibly have in common to talk about. OK Magazine asked Paris, what's it like being the older woman in the relationship? 
it's not an issue at all. We both look and feel the same age, so it's perfect. Forever 21, indeed. They end up breaking up sometime after Paris is seen snuggling up to Justin Bieber at a party in Cannes. After that, Paris's next relationship is with a man named Thomas Gross in 2015. They meet at the Cannes Film Festival despite Paris having no business being there. Thomas is just a random rich guy, no big Hollywood ties. Two months after they're originally linked to each other, Paris Instagrams a black and white photo of him with the caption, Soulmates. They break up a year later. Which finally, mercifully, brings us to today. Since around January of this year, Paris has been dating 32-year-old actor Chris Zilka. To catch you up, Paris is now 36. Chris is most known for playing Justin Theroux's son on the HBO show The Leftovers, which truly tickles me that Paris had to watch that show. Not because it's not a good show. It's actually one of my favorite shows. I love it but it's very weird and heady and prestige television, and I love thinking of Paris having to pretend to watch it. Even funnier is thinking of Paris showing up to the Leftovers premiere party on Chris Zilka's arm and getting introduced to Justin and Jennifer Aniston. What happened? As the girlfriends of the actors, did Jennifer get stuck making small talk with Paris at the crudité table? What a fun thing to daydream about. Anyway, if you get one thing from this podcast, watch The Leftovers. Come for all the shots of Justin's naked butt, but stay for the beautiful depiction of the human condition. So yeah, Chris is her new soulmate. She says he's the one. He got her name tattooed and Disney font in July for their anniversary. She got them matching Team Us Forever sweatshirts. She's the little girl who cried love, but maybe this time she means it. Maybe she's learned from all these years of failed relationships. Maybe this time, it is forever. Maybe. Lay, do you remember this is researched, written, narrated, and edited by me, Darlene. If you aren't already, please subscribe on iTunes and leave a rating and review. You can follow the pod on Instagram and Facebook. And please, if you like the podcast, share it and tell your friends. It's true what they say. It takes a village to make me famous. So you're invited to come back next week. We've got a table, and I've put you on the list for Lady You Remember This. Remember this.